This is the 200th episode of Defenders TV Podcast and our Daredevil Season 3 wrap-up. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to our Season 3 wrap-up of Daredevil and our 200th episode of Defenders TV Podcast. Before we get into it, I just want to say another big thank you to Oliver Mississippi MacDonald for all of the music that's been provided to us for pretty much all of the 200 episodes of Defenders TV Podcast that we've done so far. Uh, thanks so much, Ali. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, all. Uh, it's really good to have your musical input from the river of the Mississippi, indeed. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much, all. And if you don't know by now, on our 200th episode, my name is Derek and I'm one of your hosts. I'm your other host, Chris. And third and finally, it's me, John, one of your hosts of Defenders TV Podcast. As we mentioned on our 199th episode, we're going to save your feedback, the feedback that you've sent into us for the full season of Daredevil, so we can discuss your thoughts and our thoughts on the full season of Daredevil. Overall, a really good season, I think. Um, but without further ado, we're going to get straight into it, right? Absolutely. That is the plan. First up, a final piece of feedback on episode 13 from Bob Phillips. He says, what a spectacular end. The survival of all, including the now aptly named Bullseye, through this, the three-way fight, the dying declaration, the final exit into the guacamole at law. Excellent. Thanks so much for that feedback, Bob. Yeah, thank you so much, Bob. And our first voicemail feedback is from Ryan with his thoughts on the entirety of season three. Hey, how you doing, guys? Ryan here, and I want to give you my season three review of Daredevil. I was going to do an episode by episode, but it's just too good that I couldn't stop watching. So hence why I'm here now. But I don't know where to start from Agent Nadim, Excellent character. Daredevil. Wicked acting again. Wilson Fisk. They actually call him Kimpin. We're actually there now. Amazing. Vanessa. Uh, Point Dexter. It is unreal. The characters in this series is wicked. And obviously not forgetting Foggy and Karen. Um, I've just listened to, I think it's episode six, guys, and I'm with you. I'm actually finding myself not actually uh, finding Karen annoying this season too much. But apart from that, I want to take my hat off or Daredevil bandana to all the Marvel Netflix staff behind the scenes and in front of the camera, because I know there's too many to mention, but you guys really deserve a pat on the back and well done. And hopefully the, the viewing figures can reflect that and we get a season four with all the sad news of Iron Fist, maybe not so much Iron Fist, but definitely Luke Cage being cancelled. We are all kind of gutted and hoping and watching the news to find out what's going on with Marvel Netflix. So thank you, Marvel Netflix. Thank you, Defenders TV. Uh, and hopefully this will not be the last time we speak. Well, it definitely won't because we've got uh, Punisher and Jessica Jones coming. So guys, thank you very much. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for your feedback, Ryan. Really good to hear from you. And I know the feeling i think we struggled at times to not watch ahead this season and just record our thoughts episode by episode as well so totally understandable thanks for setting in your thoughts for the season always good to hear them as well uh karen not annoying this season is the headline i got from that one i i got the headline that iron fist uh may be the accepted sacrificial uh lamb <laughs> i don't know if i fully agree with that but i definitely want to see a daredevil season four uh marvel netflix better uh, show up with the cash. That's all I can say. Certainly after we've heard that the showrunner, Eric Olsen, um, has pitched something to them, at least. So um, it's certainly positive. And uh, yeah, 
Uh, Karen was fab. I thought she was really good this series. Um, and I think this is one of the good things about this season for me is that they utilized Daredevil's Matt Murdock supporting characters of Foggy or integral characters of Foggy and Karen Page really nicely around his main character arc and that was something that i really enjoyed and really relished in so yeah definitely agree ryan the use of karen page here really really nicely done and not just karen page i do want to do want to say as well ryan you're absolutely right all of the cast have been used really well this season really enjoyed it yes ryan thank you so much and yeah i agree with you on even reina deem um as as derek said all the supporting casts and i don't even think supporting cast is a good uh nomenclature anymore they are pure, full cast members. Mm-hmm. It is not like Matt Murdock and Friends. It is the Daredevil cast. Yeah, it's the full ensemble cast for this season. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. They've treated them really, really well, and hopefully we'll get to see more of them in the future. Thanks so much, Ryan. Uh, another piece of voicemail feedback from Claire Payne, who's also sent us in her thoughts about the full season. Hi, guys. Uh, sorry I have not left any feedback for season three, but it, but Daredevil is definitely the best of the seasons. The pacing of the storyline throughout was perfect and it kept you guessing and the final episode wrapped up nicely. I defend 12 out of the 13 episodes as I found the amount of backstory that was shown for Karen Page in episode 10 dominated too much of the episode. I enjoyed Karen's character more this season and you could not fault the acting from Deborah Armwall, especially with her scene with Vincent Dorfino in episode 8. I also agree with Matt at the end of the last episode that Karen would make a great investigator because she is more stable than Jessica Jones. Charlie Cox definitely needs a lot of credit for the range of emotions he showed throughout the season. It was never over the top and his final scene with Wilson Fisk was superb. I had to close my eyes as Matt continued to punch Fisk in the face, but it was the deal he struck with Wilson and the way he showed his identity to confirm to Wilson that Matt is the real daredevil. Matt finding his way back through pain, revelations of Sister Maggie being his mum and losing another father figure in his life. I also enjoyed the scenes, even though there were a few with Matt working with Agent Nadine to find out if Poindexter was impersonating Daredevil in the red suit. It was great to see um, Wilson Bethel back on my screen as he was in another one of my favourite TV shows, The Very Gentle Heart of Dixie, and already he had the Marvel abs. I loved the complexity of Dex Poindexter and learning his backstory, and I was convinced that Judy was just a random stranger he decided to stalk. But Dex needed just one person so he could have structure was a great running storyline. Dex's storyline did hit an all-time creepy high when he put Judy's frozen dead body of the passenger seat he was driving and while dressed in the suit. I could not make up my mind about Vanessa, whether she was happy to be back with Wilson, was she against him in some way? Even though that even when they got married, I expected a surprise announcement from Vanessa, but it was generally emotional to be reminded of how much Wilson loves her. Overall, this was an outstanding television. Agent Nadine did not survive, but I am so happy that Dex and Wilson and the rest of the principal cast made it through another season. As always, love listening to your thoughts and thank you for all the podcasts on this season of Daredevil. Claire. Thanks so much, Claire. So glad to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised how few characters 
died in the season. There seemed to be a lot of jeopardy and only two major characters really died with Julie and Reina Deem, but a really enjoyable season overall. Yeah. Yes, thank you so much, Claire. I kind of agree with you. I think I did previously in episodes about Karen and that overall episode kind of the the structure of it but looking back on the whole arc and the whole series as a whole i think we were given a a good rationale as to everything that happened Mm -hmm. yeah thank you so much claire and i am totally with you with wilson bethel though he's really really good um as poindexter and yes he scaled the creepy heights with um the icicle that we shall call julie Mm -hmm. um which was yeah Excellent stuff. Excellent creepiness. Um, yeah, for me, Poindexter, Bullseye, uh, and their portrayal by Wilson Bethel was excellent. And I, I think I'll have to certainly look at Heart of Dixie as well to catch those Marvel abs. <laughs> yeah, definitely want to see a bit more Wilson Bethel in the future. Yeah, it'd be really good. Hopefully we'll get to see him in a season four. Uh, I'm going to hold your point there, Claire, about, uh, about best of the seasons for our discussion a little bit after all of the feedback, just to see if we have a decision as to whether season three of Daredevil is the best of the 11 shows that we've seen from Marvel Netflix. But definitely a high this season. I absolutely agree with you. Um, Deborah Ann Wall versus Vincent D'Onofrio in that uh, in that scene in his penthouse apartment was one of my favorite scenes in the entire season of Daredevil, which is fantastic to say since Matt Murdock's supposed to be our main character. Um, but again, I'll hold that for a little bit later as well. Thanks so much for your thoughts there. Really good to hear that. We've also got some feedback in from 084 again over by email, who says, OK, we're finally here at the end of 13 hours of tension, cheering, laughs, yelling no at the TV, yelling yes at the TV, invisible onions being chopped to my room and much, much more. Here are my thoughts on the last three episodes of the season as a whole. I have a couple of nits to pick, and believe me, these are the tiniest of nitpicks, but I don't want to end on a negative note, so I'll lead with them. When Matt had the two flashbacks to the orphanage, I wanted so bad to see a black-haired girl run by with a sister running after her shouting, Mary Sue Poots, who would that have hurt? Who? <laughs> Just in case you're not a fa- fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., what 084 is, re- is referencing there is Daisy Johnson, when she was in the same orphanage as Matt Murdock, was called Mary Sue Poots at the time. So that's a reference to possibly seeing Daisy Johnson sometime in the background. I'm not too sure what the age difference between Daisy Johnson and Matt Mur- Murdock is. I don't know whether they would have been exactly at the same time in these shows i think he's a couple of years older than him, maybe two or three years older than than daisy johnson but it would have been cool i would have loved it just to have even a moment in the background having a photograph of the young daisy johnson that would have been cool no oh, definitely and for our listeners who don't know who daisy johnson is she is quake in agents of shield played by uh, chloe bennett i believe exactly chris yeah i think a lot of people who Gave up the show after season one, might even only know her as Sky from season one of, uh, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That sounds so long ago. And we're getting a season six and season seven of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But I digress. That is another MCU show. I'm looking forward to it anyway. Oh, wait, 4 continues. Speaking of other MCU shows, remember all that time ago, a year, a couple of months, or some other vague amount of time that's vague on purpose, when Daredevil participated in a plan with five other people to blow up a building, and he ended up underneath that building, which started this season. Do you think those five people might, I don't know, be a little curious about Daredevil showing up on the news killing people? Do you think they might drop by to see the lawyer and reporter who had who both had some connection with Daredevil just to see what's going on? I mean, I understand that Danny's in Japan and Luke is a crime boss now, but Colleen and Jessica are still vigilantes last time I checked. And Claire Temple was actually friends with Matt. And even though we don't see her at the end of Luke Cage, we know that she's back in town. I do understand the logistics of casting and schedules and money where crossovers are concerned. 
it wasn't until I saw Eric Olsen on Twitter bragging about Daredevil being so standalone that I got a bit mad about it. This universe was built on the foundation of crossover and these characters coexisting, so I wouldn't even consider one of these series being isolated to be an achievement. But hey, maybe Claire and Jessica don't care about their friend. Maybe Jessica and Colleen see someone killing multiple people in a devil suit and just shrug and go off to stop more bank robbers and liquor store stick-ups. Priorities, guys. Also, the crime bosses. How many more times are we going to see a gathering of the most dangerous people in New York and it's different every single time? We do see the Italian crime boss from Luke Cage presently accounted for, but we're missing the other bosses she associated with, including Luke Cage and the Hatchet Men. And adding in an offensive Jewish stereotype, a mechanic and some hacker really wasn't feeling that. (laughs) I know what you mean. It does feel weird because even we were even questioning, are they the top crime bosses? Is there something else we should know about all of these people? Have we seen them in different places? But you're absolutely right. The only person we recognized was the new leader of the Italian gang that we saw at the end of the cage. And we didn't even recognize her in the first episode that she was in. We didn't recognize her until the 13th episode of the season. So even for us who are paying attention to every single moment of these to try and discuss them, we still missed out on it. So yeah, I know what you mean. I think it is quite difficult making these shows the way they make them. You know, you're talking about a normal season of a TV show, making 22 episodes going off air for three or four months and then coming back with the next 22 episodes of a season. Whereas this, this show has to balance all of these ideas of different showrunners doing 10 to 13 episode seasons all at the same time, all trying to tell their own story and interconnect them all. And I think what Eric Olsen was probably talking about was he was allowed to do the show that he wanted to do without having to tie in with other things. I don't think he's bragging about it. I think he just felt like he was able to tell his story without being told, oh, you have to make a moment which everybody will tune in for, which is is unusual in television. It's interesting that he was told that he didn't have to do that. I definitely agree with oh wait for here uh, from a con- continuity point of view. You know, I I really agree. Um, it is a shame that Claire Temple effectively bowed out in uh, Iron Fist. It's a shame that we have kind of heard as well prior to this season that. Um, Iron Fist and Luke Cage aren't going to come back. Not to say, obviously, this was done a, a lot of months before that announcement, but you know, it's it, it's this current context it just makes you go no that's a real shame that they they couldn't or they didn't think of doing that in Mm -hmm. the first place or that you know marvel netflix said don't worry about tying this in because i I think it's ultimately it fell foul that idea of bringing all these other people back from the other shows probably just fell a little foul of the defenders and uh, the decision that that was going to fall ultimately that it didn't need to be connected in the same way that we think of the mcu being the connected uh, universe for film and i do think um, i agree on the crime bosses i think that the nature of their job they're going to have a high turnover. There's a lot of guns involved in their trade. Um, and so I think I, I don't have so much of a, an issue that um, there is a turnover there. Although it is nice to see some um, faces, even though we didn't recognize them to begin with, um, in terms of Carboni. Uh, but um, I think the only thing with me with the crime gangs or the crime bosses is I do feel that Actually, across all of the Marvel Netflix shows, they've kind of been overplayed a bit now at this stage. Um, I, I, I kind of feel that they need to just kind of focus on that one-to-one protagonist-antagonist. Um, it feels like, unfortunately, a crime gang is the go-to thing uh, to make um, 
these superheroes feel grounded. And that, to me, is sometimes a, a bit of a shame. And in a sense, that's why I kind of, with Luke Cage, where it's rival families at one another. Okay, the the the, the gangs are in the periphery, mm-hmm. um, but it's you know it, it's these it's it's quite personal. Um, so it, it adds a different dimension, and, and I like that. Um, but just yeah, crime gangs showing on up. Um, and doing their thing round a round table or not, as the case may be. Yeah, I, I think it's beginning to have run its course a little for me uh, in okay. these shows. Um, I think that's going to be a challenge because obviously if you look back at the shows that we've seen this year, The Punisher started off with him versus the crime gangs and cleaning up the fight that he started in Daredevil Season 2. We had Iron Fist Season 2, which was really fundamentally about the Hatchet Gang and the other gangs there. We have Luke Cage, as you say, he ended off being a mob boss. The whole season was about taking down the, the gangs in the city. So, yeah, they, they would have a challenge if they continued to do these shows and they were just up against crime gangs every time. The hand had run its course by the time it came around to these seasons, definitely. But potentially there's an opening there for Hydra to reemerge in the city, like we've seen before with Iron Fist fighting Hydra and um, Daredevil fighting Hydra. Some one gang that they're up against for the season rather than them all working cross lines with each other. I think that's possibly a way i kind of agree i think you could bring in potentially hydra or the magia like the magia is like the combined forces of all the mafia together all the crime bosses and you could make a overarching leader like hammerhead or something Mm -hmm. like that and and bring them in or tombstone or there's a there's different ways i think you can still use gangs because these are our street level heroes yeah i'm kind of with 084 on this i miss the connected universe in Mm -hmm. this season thinking more about it we got a name drop at the end yeah in yeah. terms of jessica i think what you could have done okay i i completely understand from a practical tv show production sense that like potentially it's hard to get Kristen, it's hard to get finn jones it's hard to get all the other characters mm-hmm. um but being able to even going beyond the mentioning which is you could have a one-sided phone call yeah. From Foggy. Foggy talking talking and goes, okay, thanks, Jessica. No, look, I, I know it sounds weird. It's not Matt, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then have someone ask and go, who was that? Oh, it was Jessica. Or uh, she was checking in. Or Luke or Claire. Just like more name checks because I think that's one of the things I loved and I miss now about a lot of these shows is that connected sense of self. Mm-hmm. Because one of the biggest parts of comic books is not just team-ups, but they live in a shared universe. That's why when you have Marvel events every year, we get to see how Spider-Ireland affected all of the the Marvel universe, how we see um, any of the the, the cosmic events or the the standard events, anything like that. It affects everyone, even the street levels. That's one of the factors I think they're missing. And so potentially one of the factors that has, when you think about it, driven the MCU, because that's where it's got it to its point. But you don't need to see Doctor Strange to know what else is going on. But if you do, and you do see Doctor Strange, you have a a deeper appreciation. And I think that's where they stumbled in their first approach. But I think they're hopefully going forward 
might understand better. Well, we don't get much information from Netflix. They never really release things like their viewing figures or anything like that, obviously. But the only piece of information that we have understood from Netflix that came from them is that there is no correlation, really, between the main audience for a show like Jessica Jones and for a show like Luke Cage. So it does seem like having a crossover in there actually confuses a lot of the audience who don't know about the other shows and don't watch the other shows. We watch them all, obviously. A lot of our listeners do as well. But some people gave up on Iron Fist. So, for example, having Daredevil sitting in the middle of an Iron Fist show probably would be people going, why is he over here? We don't really know. Uh, And having Iron Fist over in Daredevil would be just confusing people. So I think what it has allowed this season of Daredevil to do is give more time to the main characters of the show. This is why we're complimenting someone like Karen Page and why we're complimenting Foggy Nelson is because they got storylines this season and they may not have been able to get them if you had to force in a reason for Jessica Jones to be in half an episode or something like that. But I do miss it. I definitely miss it. But I think it's a Netflix decision to say, actually, we're going to make these shows stand alone if they, so they can stand on their own two feet and we can yeah. cancel the ones we don't like and it won't have an effect on the ones we do like. Yeah, no, and I, I think what they, I think going forward, what they'll do is very much similar. They bought the rights to Miller World, Mark Miller's, mm-hmm. um, superhero universe. And the big thing about Miller World, unlike, say, the Umbrella Academy, which is another superhero universe they bought and is in production, is they're not conjoined. Miller World are self-contained stories. Yeah. Um, about certain heroes. The, the only connection is written by Mark Miller. Yeah. Or Miller, depending on how you want to pronounce his name. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting see where this all goes in the future. Yeah. yeah, it's just a real pity because obviously the strength of Marvel really has always been that it's connected universe. And to completely disconnect them, I know we've had our problems with forcing in connections in the past, but to completely disconnect them does feel like it's not a Marvel property as such. And it's so distant on Netflix. But to go back to our force feedback, okay, that's the 1% I didn't like Here's the 99% with a tiny complaint mixed in. Uh, Dex's compulsion is becoming more and more clear as he struggles and fails to fulfill Kingpin's order to kill Karen. When she was turned over to the NYPD, I was terrified that he was just going to flip out and kill her, Mahoney, and every other cop in that church. And if he'd laid a hand on Sister Maggie, I would have been ready to throw hands, just saying. When he found Julie, my heart did actually break for him, though. The show didn't let us go too long without remembering that this is a man with a mental illness and a desire to find someone to follow and then do their bidding, because otherwise he doesn't know what to do with himself. It's weird that on this show I sympathise with Dex, and yet a certain character in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had absolutely none of my sympathy. I'd love to give you a reason for this, but I'll have to call my therapist first. I don't have a therapist. If I did, then my letters to you would probably be far shorter. And we don't want that, do we? <laughs> no, we don't, 084. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. I know what character you're talking about in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., though. And uh, yeah, um, sometimes I have uh, I have sympathy. Sometimes not, though. 084 continues, Agent Mother Expletive Nadim. He saved Karen at the end of episode 11, gave up his freedom to put Fisk away in 12, and then, when that became useless, gave up his own life knowing that his death is what would finally make his testimony stick and bring that man down for good in episode 13. It's inspirational, it's heartbreaking, it's ridiculous that the original non-superhero character comes into this show and just steals it. When he was on the phone with his wife and son for the very last conversation, did you notice what phone he was using? Did you? It's the same phone that Jack used to say goodbye to Maggie and to make sure Matt would be taken care of. I'm not crying, you're crying. That's back in episode two of the show. Matt's father is on the phone in Fogwell's gym calling up Maggie. We don't know who she is because we don't see her on the other end of the phone, but he's calling up Maggie saying, effectively, I'm going to be dead at the end of today. He needs to be taken care of. And that was weaved right the way through into this final episode. That's a great catch, I for. Wow, hats off, hat tip, everything in between. That's an amazing <laughs> Easter egg to catch. Thank you. 
Yeah, absolutely. A great little spot there. Mm-hmm. Oh, before it goes on with, I really wanted Madame Gao to be the one who had bought Rabbit in the Snowstorm. I really wanted it. The only suitable replacement for her would have been this Holocaust survivor from whom not even Fisk is evil enough to take the painting back. That is such a great scene. Loved it. That's a great idea, um, because I've really wanted to squeeze Madame Gao back into this uh, Marvel Netflix universe. Mm -hmm. I I absolutely loved this old lady uh, and her kung fu skills. I I just loved her, real wise, sage uh, lady. And and that's a (laughs) great idea to have her um by rabbit in the snowstorm um because she wasn't able to make any reappearance in iron fist so um that would have been good and and certainly given the connection that she had with fisk Mm -hmm. uh, at the time um so it it would have been a a really interesting one um but then whether i would have liked to know that uh poindexter killed her um well that's another thing that's harsh that's really harsh and i think you know what we see is that's why Kingpin does what he does at the end of uh, episode 13 of the show. Uh, speaking of which, Oid4 says the main event fight was everything. Daredevil versus Bullseye versus Kingpin. Do I need to say more? You bet I do. The ridiculousness of Dex popping up on stage in the devil suit with a microphone was my favorite thing ever. You know, I've seen a still of that, John and Chris, and it does look like he's about to do karaoke. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's brilliant because we have Dex Devil doing the hoovering and now Dex Devil doing uh, karaoke. Maybe it would be I Want to Break Free. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I4 says that Matt saves Fisk. That confused me a little. He has been dead set on killing Fisk from last episode. He went through the trouble of bringing Dex into the equation. He hasn't yet had that incredibly gut-wrenching moment when he screams in utter frustration because he can't bring himself to kill the man. So then why not let Bullseye finish him on the dance floor? Did he want to do it himself? Was Bullseye actually aiming for Vanessa? Did Matt here raise confession on all those phones and do the legal math and decide he doesn't need Fisk to die anymore, making that amazingly acted scream at the end useless? I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, I know that there's a mention from Foggy when they watch the video and he says, we need to get this video out to everybody and one person in particular speaking about Matt. And as we said, those phones going off around Fisk while he's on the dance floor playing uh, Ray Nadim's confession, you know, Matt's within earshot of those phones. He can definitely make out what they're saying. He can definitely make out there is a true confession from Ray. Foggy worked it out pretty quickly that this is definitely an undeniable confession. Did Matt, did Matt do that as well? Did Matt go, actually, I don't need to kill him because there is a way we're going to take him down? Yeah, no, I think it probably helped, but I don't think it was what... I think we're reading into it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a element that they probably wanted to overplay because if they w- were going to make that the rationale, then I think they would have showed Matt cocking his head listening to it. I think that it's more that they want Matt to be seen as he understands that by placing a killing blow on Kingpin, it would have taken him from the path of righteousness to say that he's on a path of righteousness, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I also think it's just the fact that we left Matt having no faith in the legal system. So even with this dying confession... Uh, who is to say that Fisk couldn't conjure up his lawyer from hell, Ben Donovan, and, you know, to get him off? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think maybe it's, it's the frustration that he goes, I'll let the law have one more go and I won't kill him. And there's the scream. But I, I, I think there's a lot of stuff going on here. I don't think it's as straightforward as 
and him understanding what Foggy did and then still going ahead to try and kill. I think it's that his decision was made up that um, the law, the legal system, the police had failed and this was the only way. And maybe after listening to that, seeing Vanessa in the um, having feelings for him, um, things changed and and and, and altered. I, I don't know it, but I, I think there's a lot of complicated stuff going on in little uh, Matt's brain there. I think. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> uh, continuing on, oh eight four, it says also back in Fogwells when Matt has decided that he's going to kill Fisk. Frank Castle's best friend is in the room with them. Who better to call when you want someone dead? I'll wait. Any other ideas? <laughs> Anyway, that throughout fight was incredible. It was the most comic book scene in all three seasons of the show, and it worked. Fisk's armored jacket, Vanessa constantly being a target, and a weird common motivation for both Fisk and Daredevil in trying to save her. Bullseye getting paralyzed and the bloodstains on the painting. There was no better way than that visual to wrap up the Fisk storyline that ran through the whole show from season one. I expected Vanessa... I expected Vanessa to just roll her eyes and shoot Matt from behind when he was making that deal with Kingpin. Speaking of that deal, it's totally going to hold up right, isn't it, guys? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Or just maybe he will orchestrate something horrendous to happen to Matt Murdock. As I said, I love that kind of dropped line from Karen Page at the end of, of episode 13 where she goes, hopefully she doesn't get knocked down by a bus or else we're, we're right back to the start, aren't we? You know, love that moment from her. Oh, it for continues. When it's all said and done, this was definitely the best season that Netflix has done. It was a gritty and real world, but also very comic booky at the same time. Every character was written amazingly, and the actors portraying them truly, truly put out award-worthy performances. Charlie Cox is as much Matt Murdock as RDJ is Tony Stark, or Chris Evans is Steve Rogers, and I dare say possibly more so. And thank you for reading these rants of mine. No one I know watches these shows or movies more than casually, and I appreciate not having to keep these thoughts to myself completely. That's what we're here for, Defenders TV Podcast. We love our fellow Defenders. We love having your thoughts in 084. Really good to hear them. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and without you, honestly, like, where would we be? I would not know that that was the same phone. We need Mm -hmm. our fellow Defenders to spot things that we miss. And also to discuss the topics with us. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And I totally agree. I think these TV shows, what we've seen even over in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., of course, is that having the ability to embody a character for such a long period of time, you know, we have a character like Daisy Johnson on screen for, you know, almost just over 100 episodes of a show. She absolutely embodies that character to me much more so than Chris Evans. I can watch Chris Evans in another movie playing a different character and go, he's an actor who also plays Steve Rogers. I don't know whether I can watch Chloe Bennett and something else and never and not think of her as my Daisy Johnson, as my Quake on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I think there is definitely an embodiment in there. Charlie Cox is brilliant as the character of Matt Murdock in this show. And I love what he's done. It's a totally standout performance, better than anything he's appeared in previously. And I love him in things like Stardust. I love him in Boardwalk Empire. But this is a career defining performance as Matt Murdock for me. Completely agree. Yeah, and I mean, he is the heart and soul of uh, Daredevil uh, and of these series. He really adds to it. And I, I think that's his quality. He can come to the fore. He can blend a bit into the background, really. Um, but you know that he is always there as 
the the devil in black, the devil in yellow and black, the devil in yellow and red, the devil in yellow, the devil in red, whatever he, <laughs> whatever color combination of devil he wants to be uh, at that moment, you know, he he's going to be there. And I, and as I say, I think it it simply adds to his character when he's playing off Karen Page and Foggy Nelson mm-hmm. in the way that he was. A, allowed to do with the direction of the show in season three as he was in season one. And that makes it um, even better for me um, because it's not just simply the, the, the Wilson Fisk and, and the Matt Murdock relationship or the Daredevil relationship. It's those closer, more personal relationships that also um, really add so much to how Charlie Cox uh, portrays these two um, characters in Daredevil and Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. At 084 closes out with, I'll be back with thoughts on the two cancellations soon in case your ears haven't been typed off enough. I was waiting to see if Jessica Jones, Daredevil or Punisher, spoiler alert, the significantly more Caucasian 60% of the Netflix solo shows would follow this week. But it looks like the cancellation bear is full for now. Until next time, true believers, Excelsior 084. Thanks so much for your feedback, 084. Um, yeah, I think we've talked a little bit about the cancellations. We're going to talk about them a little bit later on uh, as we get to the close of our 200th episode. Thanks so much for your feedback, though. It's been great reading it throughout this season. Yeah, thank you so much, 084, for your uh, feedback. It, it really is uh, good stuff. Thank you. Yeah, we also got some feedback in through from our Facebook group. You can always head on over to our Facebook group. Go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast and you can leave anything about anything to do with Marvel Netflix Defenders uh, as well as anything else you wish to talk about connected to these shows or indeed the comics and the uh, podcast and the podcast <laughs> yes mike brown says on the finale i feel like the deli scene was so rushed i count four dangling plot threads wrapped up with two sentences each i was half expecting matt's dad to walk in and say the gangsters didn't actually kill him and he had amnesia until now <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like everything was all wrapped up which given what happened to iron fist and luke cage concerns me also, why was Ellison at the funeral? That was weird. Um, indeed, why was Ellison at the funeral, uh, Mike? Uh, that is probably connected to Karen Page and, and everything that Karen Page has gone through uh, in the four walls of the Clinton church. But yeah. um, remember, certainly... Remember, he it, sacrificed himself to save Karen Page. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a shame, though, that um, the rest of his parishioners weren't there in the uh, side aisles, for, for sure. But um, yeah, it is all wrapped up in a really rather neat bow. And, and to be honest, if it wasn't for the fact that the showrunner had said he had pitched a season four, I would be getting a little concerned as well. And um, who knows what's going to happen? Um, but certainly there is hope there, uh, true believers, uh, that a season four of Daredevil uh, can be on the cards as the showrunner himself is still pitching to Marvel Netflix. So hopefully they see the, the numbers stack up for them and see the worth in, in continuing uh, with Daredevil on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you so much, Mike. I'm right there with you with the deli scene. I think I discussed it in our previous episode. Um, but yeah, this, this, and I agree that Alison was there to be supportive of Karen. But also, mm-hmm. we do know that Father Lantham was a driving factor in Hell's Kitchen as his community. So I think also probably Alison probably had talked to him before or something. He would have mm-hmm. known him. 
But more importantly, we know that Karen was like a daughter to Alison. So Karen having to been saved by Lantham uh, probably was a driving factor in that as well. Mm -hmm. Continuing on over on Facebook, we had Jamie Alexander who said best season of Daredevil hands down. I know it's just a TV show, but I would be devastated if it doesn't get a season four right there with you, Jamie. And we'll discuss more on that a little bit later. Jeff Childs also said this is a cracking good season. That three-way fight at the end was insane. Madden mm-hmm. has a new North Star with his mum. Not just the best DD season, the best Marvel Netflix season. Yes, Jeff, thank you so much. That really was, I think we discussed in the last episode, how much we loved that final fight scene. And it could have gone on a few more minutes, but who knows? Agree with you on Matt having his new North Star. Hopefully not the same North Star that... Uh, Dex has, and otherwise we may have a psychotic uh, buzzing Matt in the future, but who knows? Well, I suppose uh, Dex's North Star is very much like a North Star uh, out in the cold, frozen uh, <laughs> <of> space. <laughs> um, Julie is embodying uh, a star, I suppose, in that sense. Uh, uh, thank you, Jeff, for, for the feedback. Ted Willard uh, posted on our Facebook group, This season was simply superb. I think the writers came up with just the right solution to battle between Matt and Fisk. The deal that Vanessa stays free and Kingpin will leave Foggy and Karen. The only other way I could see ensuring the safety of Matt's friends would be the death of Fisk. But that would not have been the right thing to do for Matt. I also want to use the end of the season to sing the praises of your podcast. Well, thank you, Ted. That's uh, really, really uh, nice of you. Um, He goes, I find it to be one of the very top podcasts I listen to, including many by people who do podcasting full time. Derek, John and Chris, thank you for your great discussions. You consistently feature interesting insights and analysis. You critique where appropriate without being snarky. You take the material seriously without taking yourselves too seriously. And I love the bloopers. <laughs> oh, Ted, there are so many bloopers indeed, <laughs> for sure. Um, but thank you so much for that. That's really, really nice. And I mean, I, I do think as well that you know part of the great thing about our podcast is, um, you know, handing that over to people within the Defenders TV podcast community, hearing your thoughts about whether you think it's um, good, bad, indifferent, what's your favorite part. So this really helps the discussion for each episode, but also, you know, how it winds into us watching these shows and how we we look through the subsequent shows that follow because it really does inform us as much as the show and as and as much of the research that we do for the characters so Mm -hmm. um it's a really um great bit of feedback and very kind of you to say so so thank you so much ted thanks so much ted i can't believe you told the guys that I edit stuff out that they say in the podcast <laughs> and then put it in as bloopers when they say something that makes me laugh. Um, no, actually, to be honest, <laughs> let you in a little behind the scenes. The reason why Chris and John occasionally say, I think I mentioned that on the last episode, is because I t- sometimes do edit out some of their thoughts uh, for brevity and they, they forget which pieces are left in and which pieces are left out because they may not know uh, when we're recording the next episode. There you go. A little yes. behind 
close doors uh, for our 200th episode. Our podcast is something like 1984. Um, Derek is the thought police. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much, man. I really appreciate having those kind words. I will take this time to thank our illustrious producer, Derek, because without him, <laughs> this show literally would not be possible or edited or go up online or anything. <laughs> and then beyond that, uh, John and his synopsis is great. I just come in for the comic talks. Like, honestly, I'm just here for the, the laugh. The, the other guys do the, the best. I love the banter. I do love the banter. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but more importantly, uh, outside of our beautiful synopsis written by John and our illustrious producer, um, we couldn't do this, but we couldn't also do it without you guys. You guys make this. And obviously that's the, the best fun is I may not always respond in the group, but I'm always there listening, reading, and there as much as I can. So for the next 100 episodes, you can count on me to be more active uh, within our Facebook group, talking to you guys. If you ever have a question, just tag one of us, and we will always uh, respond with our thoughts. Mm-hmm. But once it gets to episode 300, Chris is out again. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You only get me for 100 episodes. That's, that's it. Finally, over on Facebook, Tina Brown gave us her thoughts on this final episode. She had this to say. Most consistently strong season. Charlie Cox did a lot of heavy lifting this season. And that is the reason it was so good. The titular character was the most interesting character. And that didn't happen, in my opinion, with Iron Fist and Luke Cage. Strong writing and directing. Growth for the supporting characters without them stealing the spotlight. And a brilliant performance by Vincent D'Onofrio. I'm thrilled. Now I know the angst as as necessary as oxygen for comic book characters, but I would love to see Matt have a little fun next season. I rewatched the large part of season two before this season, and I flat out love his scenes with Electra. I want her back, and I also don't want it to be overwhelmingly dark. I want to enjoy the chemistry they have because that's what will make it tragic. That Matt clearly has the most fun we ever see him having in those scenes with her, and at the end they cannot be together for whatever reason. I do not, however, want to see any more of the hand. I thought they could have good closure in the Defenders. Mm -hmm. I would like to ask the comic book experts if she has any popular storylines that are not hand-related that might be adapted for Season 4. Thank you so much, Tina. Um, Yes, Electra has a sordid history with the hand, um, especially... In most recent years, she's taken over the leadership of the Hand. Daredevil's had the leadership of the Hand, i.e. Shadowlands. There was some one or two that were adapted, obviously, for the Electric film, but they were, to put it politely, bastardized beyond belief um, <laughs> for her film. Um, but she does, she is very highly ingrained in the, the ninja hand way of life because you've mm. got to remember the hand have been around for years what we've seen with them within the defenders and the marvel netflix universe has been one side of it there was even a point where the hand fought and uh, controlled wolverine um his son darken was there as well it, it it goes huge so give me a bit of time maybe by the end of this podcast i might have one or two mm. i think the biggest storyline that we that we're missing so far is obviously bullseye versus electra you know that's that's the biggest storyline we now have bullseye in the show but electra's gone i'm not too sure whether most average viewers would want to see electra come back from the dead a third time now uh, in season four i think you might have to wait a little bit more time even it was kind of nice to have a season without electra in it i do love the character of electra not just i think she's very important to matt murdoch but i think having a season off has been a bit of a nice break to be honest but now that we have bullseye in the season 
it's possible that you would have Bullseye versus Electra in a future season. But then again, do you really want to have Electra back so that she can be killed off by Bullseye? You know, I'm, I'm not too sure. Yeah. I feel like Eric Olsen did such a good job this season taking two big storylines for Daredevil, two big books for Daredevil, merging them together, putting a new spin on them, remixing them with another couple of storylines and making a really connected show that you can point to individual panels of a comic book and go, this is where the inspiration came from that I feel he may actually go off the reservation completely for the fourth season of Daredevil. Now that he's based it and grounded it, his version of the character in the comic books, I think he might just take that character and do something brand new with him that we haven't seen in comic books before. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, certainly we got Typhoid Murray um, coming into Iron Fist uh, season two. She is traditionally a, a big Daredevil um, antagonist. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I would really like to see... Um, her crossover I, I thought she was played really really well and i think it would be nice to see um this antagonist for matt murdoch mm-hmm. i also would like to see bullseye continue uh poindexter i really um have been actually slightly disappointed about maybe the quality or the level of bullseye stuff in the comic world actually uh that kind of really sets him up and you know we got a bit of a flashback here but I think there's a real opportunity where, you know, you have that complementariness of the uh, TV shows with the comics, with the source material, <laughs> where it can take some of those uh, loose threads and begin to pull on them and to develop this character uh, within uh, the world of Marvel Netflix. And I'd really like to see that because I've really connected with Poindexter in this season. I think he has been truly fantastic um so there's there is i suppose as you say there's bullseye as well to to be um included in a possible uh season four arc of daredevil that is mm-hmm. kind of set up by eric olsen yeah, yeah. personally i i think looking back they'll probably build their own similar to what they've done now which is hey, we'll take one or two other threads and build it into this large, more beautiful arc. I do like the idea of maybe Matt giving up the moniker of Daredevil and Man in Black and maybe bringing in Blindspot, um, who we did see the the homemade character of in um, Iron Fist Season 2. They never mentioned he was a superhero. They never did that. There's been a lot of nice stuff happening to Daredevil in the last couple of years in the comic books. So I think they could adapt. Why reinvent the wheel when you do have a history to ground yourself on? Um, but I trust the writer from this season. He, mm-hmm. The new showrunner has done fantastic. So whatever he thinks is best, I, I will follow him on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're looking for a good Electra story in comic books, maybe Electra Assassin is one that you want to try out. It is a different type of story where she's not as connected um, to the hand, not as connected to Daredevil even. Um, so quite an interesting book to, to check out. One of my first, I think, uh, Electra books that I got when I was much younger. And I agree with Derek's selection, but uh, Bloodlines, which is Electra's miniseries about five issues, uh, from 2014, it was just called Electra, but mm-hmm. the, the arc was called Bloodlines. Uh, it was written by Hayden Blackman. Really, really good. Very little, very little to do with the hand overall. Beautiful. The artist was Mike, uh, Del Mundo. So oh, yes. he, yeah, just really interesting kind of oil painting esque. Um, very, very beautiful. Excellent. Um, great story. 
Excellent stuff. I have to check it out myself. Yeah, great stuff. But thanks so much for that feedback, Tina. And thanks, everyone, for your feedback on Season 3 as a whole. Got a little bit more feedback in uh, just as I was finishing the edit. So it's just me and my own. Uh, Ryan has sent in some questions about Season 3. I wanted to make sure I got them into the episode before I put it out. Here's Ryan. What's happening, guys? Ryan here. wanted to add a couple things to my season review, um, considering you're doing a whole episode on it. A couple things that jarred me, and I wanted to get your opinion about them. Uh, first off was Karen Page being able to have a concealed weapon license or license to carry a concealed weapon. I'm not sure of the proper terminology on that. But considering uh, episode 10 where we saw her background and knowing that she's not originally from New York, uh, how hard it would be for her to get that. There was a scene where she got pulled, I can't remember what episode it was, where she got pulled over by the police and she said to them, I have a license to carry a firearm in my purse. Now that for me was a bit unbelievable um, just because I know how hard it is to do that. And uh, second off, uh, Poindexter, as much as I really like the character I generally did, I find it hard to believe that someone with that mentality of what he had and the tapes we heard with his uh, with his therapist that would get into the army and would get into the FBI. I might be completely wrong, but I thought that that would be a massive red flag for them to give someone a license to have a a firearm, you know. So those are just the two things that I wanted to actually get your opinion on, guys, and see if you could shed on some light on it. Apart from that, great work as usual. See you soon, guys. Take care. Some really interesting questions there, and definitely, definitely I've heard some of these before, Ryan, as well. So it's not just yourself. You're not the only one that has seen that there's some possible problems here. Yeah, I don't know whether this is just a commentary on that thing that a lot of people say that in America, it's so easy to get a gun. You can buy one over the counter with no checks, all that kind of stuff. It definitely would be very difficult for Karen to arrive in the city and pick up a gun. Um, It does kind of change the idea that we had that she'd only been in the city for a couple of months. She may have been there for quite a few years uh, by the time she meets Matt and uh, Foggy before she gets her gun license. Uh, She may have had some help getting it. but yeah, it does seem very odd that she'd be able to get that that concealed weapon license um, outside of New York. I know when I lived in Carolina, uh, getting a concealed weapons license isn't actually that difficult. It's reasonably easy to get. So some t- some states differ. But one of the things that New Yorkers specifically criticize about the Marvel Netflix shows is that they try and get it back to the 1970s New York, that really violent and dirty, grimy city that it was back in the 70s before it's been completely rejuvenated. So uh, sometimes they take a little bit of liberties uh, to have that there. But I think they were just paying attention to the fact that she is walking around carrying a gun and she's about to get arrested by the police so they wanted to make sure she was up front about it and didn't get shot in the streets you know uh, a nice way to make sure her character uh, is taken care of as for poindexter yeah it's a really good question um what strikes me is that the crimes that he'd committed were done in early life and i'm wondering if there's a possibility that that the uh, conversations he's had with uh, the psychologist that's taking care of him are sealed because he's under that age. But I totally agree with you. Him getting into the army should be quite difficult if he has a past like this, unless it's something that is completely sealed off and even the army aren't able to see those records uh, before he gets into the army. But it does seem to be a little bit of suspension of disbelief, I suppose, um, as, as I'd call it. Uh, but I suppose the show does have superpowers. Dex himself has the power to be able to throw anything and kill anybody with it. So, you know, you can kind of stretch it that to get across the point that he needs structure in his life that he was able to make it into the army but yeah i think if you kind of peel away at that a little bit more a little bit more 
the chances of someone with that serious a psychological issue getting into the army and getting into the FBI and getting into the positions that he's in seems unlikely. Thanks so much for your feedback. I'm sorry the other two guys aren't here to uh, to share in that feedback, but it's really good if you send it in. Gentlemen, do we have any other thoughts about the series? As we talked about a lot of thoughts really overall on, on season three. Um, any favourite episode of the season? Anyone that stands out to you in your mind that went, this is the one that defines what is good about the season? Oh, I've, got, I've got two for me, um, as always. <laughs> I can't just say one. Your favourite um, episode. <laughs> yeah, my favourite episode, because if I could, I would have watched them as one. Um, mm-hmm. And that is, that's episode four, uh, blindsided, uh, with the prison fight and, and the, the moment where the tables turn, um, and you have the real threat that Matt Murdock could be incarcerated in prison mm-hmm. and Wilson Fisk is in his penthouse. Um, I thought that was really, really good. And of course, the, the fight scene, um, just incredibly, executed and then it's the immediate episode after that which is the perfect game episode five uh where we have this flashback by wilson fisk on poindexter um with dr eileen mercer and for me that whole moment there of the the young or the teenage poindexter with the the young Eileen Mercer and then the old sort of decrepit Eileen Mercer where she's talking about the North Star is such a moniker for this character of Poindexter that has been created here in this show mm-hmm. um, that I, I just thought that was a really, really nice scene. Um, I, I thought it was it, it really gave me an insight into Poindexter. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting. We've had, um, you know, feedback saying, uh, I think it was from 084 saying that connects in and has sympathy with poindexter Mm -hmm. with bullseye i'm the same it really has made me want to learn more about the character Uh, and unfortunately it's not something i think that the comics expand too much on (laughs) Uh, which isn't a real unfortunate thing and it's kind of why i said that it would be nice if a season four could do that. Yeah. Um, why not? Admittedly, um, at the moment of the comic books, they're kind of going through a really good phase of taking villain char- villainous characters and writing really good stories around them. I know uh, Donny Cates is doing Venom at the moment and doing a great job with him. Uh, Thanos has been kind of reinvented recently yeah. and, and given a really good storyline. Uh, so possibly a good bullseye story is coming, but I just don't know one specifically. If any of our fellow defenders do, please let us know. I'd love to read a good bullseye story. So for me, um, they are absolutely um, the two episodes that I love from this. And a, a quick shout out as well, probably slightly controversially for some people, but Karen, um, the episode Karen, um, mainly because it was directed by the same um, person who directed uh, Blindsided, which is Alex Garcia Lopez. And I have to say that those two episodes for me were also some of the best directed i mean the whole whole series has been absolutely solid but these two for me really stood out in how they were um directed whether it's because of the fight in blindsided or that small town feel in karen which was episode 10 i think um so yeah they're 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 my favorite i think And, and of course you cannot but love Dex Devil Hoovering from episode eight upstairs downstairs. <laughs> um, that to me was just pure genius, um, to be honest. And now that uh, 
the the karaoke singing Dex Devil has also been highlighted, then I think uh, my love for the character Poindexter and Dex Devil is uh, is even more so. Um, he's an evil guy, but he has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is why you're not allowed to go first when we ask for favorite things, John, because you just chose four there. So now anything myself and Chris say, it's going to sound like we're choosing ones in. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> If you, if anybody heard our review of episode 10, Karen, I mentioned at the end in my defense that that's the kind of movie I would go and see. That's the kind of thing that I'm interested in outside of comic books. So that is right up there for me as an episode of Daredevil. One of my favorites is probably episode 11 and episode 12 and then episode 13. They just escalated into just wonderful episodes. I think there's great moments. I absolutely think the, the fight scene in the prison this season was great, but I think the character work that was being done throughout the show really, it really got to a crescendo by the time we got to episode 12. So I would say episode 12 was probably my favorite of the season as a Daredevil episode, but my favorite episode of the show so far was Karen because it sits right with my indie movie type sensibilities. Chris? I'm going to go with, take one of John's apparently. Uh, for me, it was blindsided that 10 and a half, 11 minute fight scene was, I, I say this every season about one of the things, but this from a cinematography point of view should win some form of award. Um, it was breathtakingly well done, well choreographed and just fit so well with what we consider a daredevil mm-hmm. show where they have the hallway scenes and it's like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to do a full hallway 11 minutes out of 40 minutes set because even in house on haunting hill yeah they have the they had four one uh one camera take scenes blended together for theirs so it's now becoming a staple of these netflix shows and they did have some crossover some of i'm assuming and the production staff or something this yeah. fantastic article that derek shared in the uh group at one point i believe uh, just on the the process, they how they did this, why they wanted to do it, and like how it nearly broke them all. Yeah, but it came out so beautifully; it really did. And if you listen to our episode four review, I think I mentioned that article about fifteen times because I yeah. was so surprised that they got so much access. The the interesting one about the House and Haunting Hill, Chris. I know it's a different show; we don't cover it. It's a great show, though. Uh, the interesting one about that is they actually built the sets for that show based on having that one episode that was going to have those four segments that were uh, all filmed looking like one take. They built the set specifically like that for every other episode so that this one episode could be done. And you're right. It just feels like a big challenge for people that work on Netflix shows to do these long take episodes. Kind of interesting. I wonder if it comes from that sensibility of being on stage. If you don't do a cut, you can have much more depth in your characters. If you're, you know, you're effectively doing a stage play rather than a movie where you're using cuts to hide things. What's interesting, I suppose, with Daredevil is a fight scene generally takes a lot of work and tires people out and gets people hurt sometimes, you know. So trying to put a fight scene into an 11 minute take is possibly a little bit more difficult than the dramatic type of scenes that you saw in House and Hunting Hill. But we saw in this 11-minute scene, there was also lots of dramatic moments in there along with the fights this time, which I just thought was fabulously done. Really, really good. It really was. And I think it was just so beautifully created. I, I, yeah. I, I can't I can't say much more. And that really is why it's my favourite. From mm-hmm. an emotional point of view, from an acting point of view, there's a host of others. But yeah. this, from just a technical prowess, was the best for me. Excellent. Excellent. Any other general thoughts on season three? Uh, John, we'll give it to you. 
I do think this is up there with uh, one of my favorite Marvel Netflix shows. To uh-huh. be Interesting. Um, Nicely avoided. I'm deciding whether it's your favorite Marvel show or not. <laughs> yeah, no, but mainly because I think it connects in with season one. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I liked season two with Elektra and with the Punisher. Mm-hmm. But as I say, I, I liked how this connected back to season one of Daredevil. You know, this was the first one to come out. And at that moment, I absolutely loved it and I, I still do because it is both a comic book story and feels like it's not and that's what i love about how daredevil approaches the material of comics is that it, it really does you know it has all these things like uh, melvin potter it has the whole thing with the gladiator it has these little references that that weave throughout the 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 series um, and yet it treats things really consequentially. Um, it, it has that real life consequence feel to it. Um, you know, no more so than with, you know, whether it's Vincent D'Onofrio slamming the head with the door, the car door in season one uh, and James Wesley there, or, you know, connected through seeing Vincent D'Onofrio's reaction to Karen Page as he learns that she was the one that puts at least seven bullets into his friend and the only person he's ever let into his life other than Vanessa, James Wesley. Mm-hmm. That to me is just pure classic. This is That is really, really good. So I, I, I think this uh, Daredevil season three has been absolutely awesome in that way, to be honest. And I, I think um, it's kind of the model of how it should be done and i feel that luke cage season two really went with that as well it felt real life but had all these nods and not just to comics but to music as well that all linked into it plus the i think a wider uh, message embedded within the context of, of society politics and so on so to me, it is just really, really good uh, as uh, a general thought. And, it, and it's in my top five, at least. And just to repeat, Poindexter, um, for me, was fantastic. You know, um, Charlie Cox, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio are heart and soul in, in terms of their um, rivalry here in, in this. But Karen, Foggy, and then having Poindexter... Um, and his relationship with Julie, mm-hmm. just uh, really, really, um, so much to work with. So really, really good. Chris, what, uh, any general thoughts on season three? Yeah, thanks, John. Um, I do have a few. Uh, I don't know where this sits in my overall love. I don't know. Is it a fantastic story? Yes. Is it some of the best? Yes. I feel slightly torn in that I do think we could have, gotten some more additional storylines. I think it could have gone slightly faster in places and uh, slower in others. Um, I feel it's the same of every every season uh, I watch, which is recency bias, in that just because I've watched it just then, I, I love it. And right now, it is one of my... It's in my top three. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it really is. That fight scene alone brings it quite high for me, but I don't want to place it on just that. The fact that this is partly adapted from Kevin Smith um, and Frank Miller um, two arcs both of them I love and I forever love those storylines so I'm trying to separate out the the comic book storyline from the overall season and I can't at this point Mm -hmm. because 
they're just so well done. It was so well weaved together. I really, really enjoyed this. I enjoyed each of the characters. I really enjoyed the the introduction of Bullseye. For me, though, I want to see where it goes. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing about this. We finally have a Matt who is whole, question mark. It's kind of like he's the Matt that I always envisioned from the comic books, which is this very stoic, dark character in some parts of it. But then when he is in his Matt Murdock persona, he, he's larger than life. He's the lawyer. So what I would kind of hope is in ongoing episodes or seasons, we see what we saw in season one, um, which is that dichotomy of the two characters. So you have Matt, lawyer by day, daredevil by night. Mm-hmm. So overall, fantastic. I like, really, really enjoyed it. And I, I can't fault many parts of the season. Mm-hmm. It's like a fine wine. It has aged as each season has gone along. This season, these characters have aged beautifully. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way as in aging, but they've matured. And they've <laughs> matured with the characters, they've matured with the, the, the writing styles and everything. So I'm interested to see what the showrunner has pitched for season four. I'm more interested to see if we're going to get a season four, but that's a different story. And that are my thoughts. Derek, what do you think? We'll definitely be talking about that in a second. Um, Just overall general thoughts on season three. Interesting that you say recency bias. I I would genuinely say this is the best Daredevil that we've seen um, so far. Uh, He wasn't my favorite character overall. He was the lead character coming into the show. Jessica Jones was always the one that I was really interested in seeing. Um, I've liked what they've done. And you can definitely tell the season is so confident Every actor in the show is so confident in their performances that they're doing the best version of the show that they can possibly do right now. And I think Luke Cage is the best version of Luke Cage that it could possibly be in season two. And I think Iron Fist was the best version of Iron Fist in season two of Iron Fist. Um, so I kind of feel like we're at a great point right now. I can't see how they'd cancel the show, but we'll talk about that in a second. But I've loved what they've given us throughout this season. I really think it's better than the first season where there were overcoming some obstacles of how they were going to translate the story to the screen. But by now they're just presenting us with a really confident storyline of how this character will be treated by, by this, this showrunner, Eric Olsen. I think he's done a great job in season three. And so we're, we've been avoiding the question most of the episode overall. If we get a season four, what do we want is kind of the overall question. We had a little bit of feedback from Jim Carrey over on our Facebook group where he says, are Daredevil, Jessica Jones or the Punisher in danger of being cancelled? Could the upcoming Punisher reviews be the final Defenders podcasts? So if we get a season four, what do we want? Will we get a season four, guys? Um, let me quickly start off on this. We have talked about it in an individual episode in the past. Just to be clear on the cancellation reasons for Iron Fist and Luke Cage, they are different. Iron Fist, we believe, was cancelled because of ratings, but no official figures are released, so we don't know if that's the case. Uh, Netflix have gone on record in the past and said it doesn't really matter about who watches the show. As long as people that do watch the show keep up their subscriptions, they'll keep making the shows. That's kind of the the only piece of information they've ever given about whether They'll keep the shows on board. So maybe people are just subscribed watching Daredevil and all the other shows and it doesn't add any additional people having the show on the, on their uh, platform. What we know about Luke Cage, though, was that there was a difference of opinion. Netflix wanted to reduce the number of episodes being released. The showrunner wasn't willing to go for that and Marvel weren't willing to go for that. And they closed it off between them and made the decision to cancel Luke Cage. So it wasn't to do with this ratings idea. So two different reasons for those two shows being cancelled. Daredevil, on the other hand, 
is the flagship show. It's the reason that they got into the partnership with Marvel. They made a second season of Daredevil before they made some of the other shows that were in the original contract because it was so popular. Whether people are watching it as quickly as they used to or whether it's as popular as it was in the past, we don't know. We don't know whether that even figures into the decision of Netflix to renew the show. But what we do know is Netflix likes money. <laughs> if people are watching Daredevil and keeping up their subscription to Netflix to watch Daredevil, they'll keep making the show. That's what I. That's my feeling. Any other thoughts on whether we'll get a season four of Daredevil? Um, I think at the moment I am quietly optimistic that we will get a season four. But, I mean, it's anyone's guess, really, uh, because... Yeah, we've had I'm Fist and Luke Cage cancelled now for, for different reasons. Mm -hmm. But again, I wonder if that is part of the reason why Eric Olsen was given carte blanche to, to go off and say, you can make this as standalone as you want to, because, um, you know, we've already kind of got an idea that at least the Defenders as an entity was dead, uh, on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Maybe not so much some crossovers. Um, so I, I'm quietly optimistic, I think, for, for a season four. And, and especially knowing that the showrunner has seemingly made a pitch as to what his vision for season four would be. So, I mean, that's, that's a good position to be in. I think for me, just because the, the second season seemed to be, you know, pretty rapidly announced after, um, the, these shows had been released. Yeah. Um, I was kind of expect it within the next month or so, you know, at least maybe in the new year or something or before Christmas. Um, so we just have to see, yeah. but uh, I like some of the feedback here. Um, it, there is still a little bit of concern in the back of my mind, given how everything has been so neatly tied up here yeah. um, from the original setup Um many moons ago back in the early days uh, with season one of, of Daredevil. And I, and I think, dare I say it, um, you know, is that sometimes one of the issues with this Marvel Netflix model, or at least the model as they've done it for these shows, is that you can have significant periods of time where these characters aren't on screen yeah. uh, and can get forgotten. Yeah. Um, so, when you think about Jessica Jones, the last time she appeared was in her own season. She did first season nothing until the Defenders, then did season two. She's been off screen now for three different seasons of shows, and she'll be back with her next season. Luckily, there's only a year apart for her actual show, but she's been off screen for quite a long time. When you consider that some people would say this is 11 seasons of one show that we've seen up to the end of Daredevil. That's it. That's what it is for us. That's why we have 200 episodes of this podcast is because we've had 11 seasons of the show. One of the quick thing I do want to say as well about this, Marvel was starting to get a bit cagey themselves about announcing what was coming up in their future movies because of the big elephant in the room. Avengers 4 is coming next summer and they want to make it a big statement movie that it does affect everything in the marvel universe so that's also a possibility as to why there's a little bit of a delay in them confirming whether their character is going to be going to their own streaming service or whether it's going to be coming back to netflix because maybe they want to make a big statement when that movie comes out about you know a big time job happening possibly for these characters you know that kind of thing so maybe they're not allowing netflix to announce the renewal of daredevil as early as they would have in the past because they want to incorporate the universe a bit more. That's certainly um, something that is possible. And I think just on and what do we want, 
I would really like to see Typhoid Mary and Bullseye mm-hmm. be um, significantly active in, in uh, Daredevil's life, to be honest, at, at this moment in time. But of course, what do I know? Um, because I think the showrunners generally ha- have really added uh, stuff that has made me salivate and, and think, oh, okay, that's not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do we want Typhoid Mary and, and Bullseye? Poindexter to to be there for season four and when do we want it now as soon as possible (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chris what are your um, kind of thoughts on uh, getting a season four from Netflix in the sky I I, I think I'm there with Derek on this I think a lot of stuff is being held for kind of next year um, I'm I'm not too worried regarding the Disney streaming service, as mm-hmm. I think that's going to be predominantly MCU orientated. In other words, they will they'll have a number of smaller shows. Um, they'll have other characters in there who predominantly may not be big enough to warrant going into the MCU, but they could live here in, in the Disney streaming service. That being said. They, those shows need to be more quote unquote family orientated. Um, and I think where Netflix will give them access to is potentially the max storylines where Punisher can come in for more over the top, gruesome deaths, things like that. Daredevil can, we can have Vincent Genofrio and stuff because you got to remember Disney is a family friendly uh, area. So. of the content they're going to put out is aimed towards families. We're never going to get Deadpool in the MCU. I, I, it's just not going to happen because Deadpool's character is over the top, sweary, uh, fourth wall breaking, things like that. Let's see how the recut version of Deadpool that comes out in about a week's time does at the box office. We may be seeing a very different version of Deadpool in Deadpool 3. But speaking of, the interesting thing is it's PG-13 in the US, but in the UK, Mm -hmm. it's still 16s plus. So they couldn't get it to a PG-13s or 12s um, because of the inherent... Uh, the un- the unshown or the inferred violence. Well, we have very different rating systems in the UK and Ireland and, and in America. Yeah, America tends to not really mind about violence as such, as long as you maybe take out the blood. Um, they don't really mind violent things being for PG-13. It is still parental advisory, I suppose. Yes. But just to say, we don't really know what is coming up on... Um, on the Disney streaming service. No. I think Disney as a company is very different than it was in the days of Walt Disney being in charge of the of the movies and making sure they spoke of just one specific type of universe and one specific type of character that they had to have on screen with the Disney princesses, that kind of stuff. They own all these properties now. They're the ones that, are, that do own the Marvel Netflix shows. They still own them. They may not be on a Disney streaming service right now, but they absolutely have the involvement in the comic books and in the movies and in the TV shows that we've seen made before. So I'm not too sure what will happen. I still don't think we're seeing the cancellation of the Marvel Netflix shows so they can be moved to Disney streaming service, but it's still possible. It's possible that the characters would be resurrected on the Disney streaming service because we don't know enough information about it yet as to what it is they're going to be on there. What we do know is that there's three streams. There's the Disney stuff, there's the Star Wars stuff and the Marvel stuff. That's kind of the way they're structuring it. But perhaps it's just going to be password protected. Adults can watch the adult-orientated Marvel Netflix stuff. 
by just putting in their password and putting it that way. Just like we have on Netflix with Netflix kids and Netflix adults, you know, Netflix kids, they don't even show them the fact that there is comic book characters for adults like Daredevil and Jessica Jones, you know? What I'm kind of hoping for is the, the dichotomy between, which is the Moon Knight. And I know I'm, I'm not pandering to our fellow defenders who do listen to this, but the Moon Knight is a violent it's got mental uh, health issues uh that it tackles um so those types of one i feel can live better on potentially a netflix but you're right we don't know this 2019 is going to be an interesting year i think we're going to get we'll definitely get jessica jones we're definitely getting punisher whether we get daredevil season four i think we'll know as john said hopefully within either the the next kind of 60 days to 90 days um if we don't hear by end of january i feel it will all marvel shows hold until the end of the infinity wars Mm -hmm. Uh, and then that's where it comes personally right now i do not feel that even if daredevil jessica jones and punisher all get cancelled i don't feel that that's the end of the Marvel Netflix universe. What I feel is potentially they'll go back and go, okay, well, look, you want certain characters back or this happens or this happens. Do you know what? Okay, well, we want these. Could we have these characters that buy these other rights and things like that? That's what I think. I, I think mm-hmm. that, that they found superheroes are now, have always been ingrained in our fellow defenders and ourselves as a beautiful uh, storytelling, It's everything like that. In the last 10 years, it has broken very much into the mainstream of cinematography. In other words, people like these superhero and super powered themed movies, TV shows and things like that. So I I don't think it's the end. I think it's just, again, we're in a beautiful beginning where now business and uh, art are kind of coming back together again. And for unfortunately, when these two meet, there's always certain casualties. But just remember the same way that there has been six or seven Superman uh, across TV and film in the, since the early 50s. We're going to have the same uh, potentially with uh, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. They could easily reboot Luke Cage five years in the 10 years in the future or when he was younger or mm. things like that. I'm OK with that. So I think it's going to be an interesting overall. Maybe. But at the moment, it still feels like Marvel are. If the project that we work on doesn't work, we move on to the next project. It feels like Marvel will, if Luke Cage comes back, it will be with Mike Coulter at the helm of it. If he doesn't come back, Luke Cage will just be forgotten in the universe and there won't be any more Luke Cage. It feels like they have hundreds of characters that they'll use. One final point I'll make on this, Chris, just to mention, because this stuff comes up all the time about Marvel needing a hard or rated Daredevil or Deadpool or all those kind of stuff. Marvel publishes the comic books side by side on the racks of all of these characters. There's no actual need to split them up and put them in different companies so that they have an R-rated or a PG-13 or a 15s-rated book or movie or TV show. Marvel does this already. It's owned by Disney. So hopefully they don't need to just go to Netflix and say, you get our R-rated characters because hopefully Marvel just go, we're Marvel. We can do it if we want to, just like they did in the comic books. We can create a character who's complex and written for adults, and we can create a character who's complex and written for kids, and they're both published by our company or produced by our company the way they do now with the comic books. I'm kind of hopeful that that's the tack they're going to take in future. Really because I don't want to subscribe to 25 different services to get all my Marvel TV shows, <laughs> to be completely honest. <laughs> to answer Jim's other question, we'll talk about the other stuff that we're going to be covering in future. Defenders TV podcast is not going anywhere for a while. Hell no!
<laughs> we won't go. Nuts. Hell no, we won't go. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, let's just close her out with some feedback uh, for our 200th episode. Absolutely lovely of uh, Robert Phillips to send us a bit of feedback, just saying... You've done a superb job over 200 episodes and have deepened my understanding and appreciation of the shows and the Marvel Universe. Thanks, Robert, for those nice words. Uh, it really uh, means a lot to to get the the input from you and, of course, all our fellow defenders. Um, uh, the kind words are, are very much appreciated. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes, Dr. Phillips, thank you so much. I recommend from one doctor to another. I'm not a doctor. Just disclaimer, I'm not a doctor. From one doctor to another, uh, please go take... 200 more episodes of our show and come back to us and see if you're still feeling good. Well, that was a terrible joke, but you know where I'm going with it. Yeah, <laughs> It was kind of like an apple a day keeps doctor away. Well, do you know what? I will do not eat your apples because we want you coming back for the next 200 episodes. <laughs> That's why the joke didn't work. You didn't know what it was referencing. Yeah, that take, was a it. Pa- take a paracetamol and come back to me in the morning. That's the, that's ah, the joke, right? <laughs> that's it. That's it. Exactly. Yes. Look, really, really honestly, from the bottom of our hearts, uh, from all of us, I know I say thank you so much. Uh, it was our, it's our pleasure for what we do. And as long as one person kind of, it helps uh, appreciate the show more or any of the useless facts that rattle around in our brains are able to enlighten you even more. John knows more about Doctor Strange than I, I think is possible. Um, and it's still good. He should be writing Doctor Strange. Yeah, I'd love to. Don't get, don't get me started. I, Derek and I have gone through the scripts already. (laughs) I've just not written anything down. (laughs) But honestly, look, as long as you guys enjoy what we'll do, we'll keep on doing it. Thank you so much. And even if you don't, you're just going to stop listening before we stop creating content. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks so much for your feedback. Uh, Finally, Claire Payne sends in a final voicemail for our 200th episode. Congratulations, guys, on reaching your 200th episode of Defenders TV podcast. Words can't express how much I enjoy listening to you three discuss everything that is marvellous about Marvel in your fair and detailed way. There have been many episodes of your podcast that have been a highlight, especially your Marvel film reviews. I really do hope there will be the adventures of Randy Ward someday for you to review. I have a lot of respect for you guys and what you do, and I would look forward to listening to the next 200 episodes. Many thanks, Claire Payne. Thanks so much, Claire. Yes, the adventures of Randy Ward. Hopefully, <laughs> well, we wished season three of Iron Fist would have been the adventures of Randy Ward. That would have been awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what's not to like about Randy Ward and glowing appendages, uh, for sure? I'm pretty sure if you go into the bargain basement or online and search Randy Ward, things may go horribly awry. So please, fellow defenders, do not search for Randy Ward. Do not Google that phrase, fellow defenders. Um, It is a sight to behold. Yes, it was just a slip of the tongue that John made during our Iron Fist uh, final episode uh, discussion where he called it. Randy Ward rather than Rand and Ward. Uh, but yes, thanks so much, Claire. You've, your support has always been great uh, for all the podcasts that we do from our Gotham podcast, which will be returning at the start of 2019 uh, to our Defenders TV podcast. You've always been there listening away and sending some great feedback in. So hopefully you continue to do so for, as we say, the next 200 episodes, which could be taken up with comic book talk with the amount of stuff that we've got left to cover. Uh, well, for absolutely. The, for the rest of the, the rest of the year, even. Um, we've got a lot of stuff coming up. Absolutely. But yeah, just before we get into that, a big thank you, Claire, for um, your your voicemail. Again, it's really good to hear uh, your thoughts. Thanks so much. Yes, thank you, Claire. And do you know what? 
all of our fellow defenders again thank you but do you know what would be even better than a thank you and an odd voicemail don't forget to write us a quick review over on apple podcasts or over on google play Podcasts or anywhere you can write a review because do you know what we want to get more fellow defenders and continue to grow this community over the next 200 episodes i know it sounds like i'm shilling but it's just more i literally love having these conversations love doing this what we do so just getting more people in but so spread the word spread the love and share the podcast thank Mm -hmm. you so much and make sure you stay subscribed, of course, over at DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can click one of the subscribe buttons over there and get it on your favourite podcast catcher, or at least your one of choice. I spoke too soon. Claire Payne was not our final voicemail feedback. Our final voicemail feedback comes in from Ray over on the Into the Night Moonlight Podcast. Hi, guys. Just wanted to drop in a line to congratulate you on 200 episodes. It's a fantastic milestone, and it has been an enjoyable listen throughout those 200 episodes of whether they be the movies, um, the comics, or, of course, the TV shows. Uh, It's been just so fun listening to you guys over the years. And, uh, yeah, here's to many, many more episodes to come. Cheers. Thank you so much, Ray. That's really good of you to send that in. I did play it for John. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get him on board to uh, to, to say thank you himself. So thank you from both Chris and John uh, for your thoughts and all your feedback over the course of our episodes that you've been listening along with. Really, really good of you to send that in. Um, I know you'll be speaking to Chris in the next couple of weeks. He forgot to mention it on the podcast that that's where you'll hear him next over on the Into the Night and Moon Night podcast. Make sure you check that out. Uh, we'll post it in our Facebook group when Chris has done his appearance uh, on that show. So he's really looking forward to going over and doing some comic book reviews uh, with the guys over in Moon Knight. So let's go back to our closeout on this episode. What's coming up, guys? What's the other stuff that we're going to be covering in the next while? Well, obviously, importantly, we've got Punisher Season 2 and Jessica Jones Season 3 in 2019, the only confirmed Marvel Netflix shows that are coming up, and we're definitely going to be covering those anyway in 2019. Yeah, dare I say it, the Defenders return, just not as you know it, fellow Defenders. Yes, the original lineup. Uh, comes in with The Defenders, The Best Defense, uh, a limited event uh, this December, and there are five issues in that series. Mm -hmm. Immortal Hulk, Namor are out on the 5th of December, Doctor Strange and Silver Surfer will be out on the 12th of December, with the finale series Defenders, The Best Defense, out on the 19th of December. So this is, in the run-up to Christmas, the nostalgic look at the original lineup of The Defenders. Mm-hmm. And we'll be covering that over on our Strange Tales podcast of Defenders TV podcast, but you'll be able to get that on this feed on the Defenders TV podcast feed from DefendersTVPodcast.com. Yes. And then Chris, that's me, will be joining on our Strange Tales for my debut on our comic book chats, because you know what? Spider-Geddon is happening right now. It's a five-issue limited run, for those of you who aren't aware, and it's the... uh the follow-on from last year's uh, Spider-Verse, or Enter the Spider-Verse. So it's going on fantastically. The first four are out now, and the finale is going to also arrive on the 19th of December. So expect our thoughts on all five of those in the new year. Do you know why in the new year? Because we obviously have the return of the Defenders. But we also want you guys to read them. So we'll give you a shout before we start recording, we just want to know your thoughts ahead of time. So over Christmas period, check out Spider-Geddon. Mm-hmm. 
And I know even the Spider-Man from the Spider-Man video game is in there as well. He's got a, a great moment uh, in the most recent issue that was released. So uh, definitely check out that series. Really looking forward to talking about a bit of Spider-Man. When is my Nick Fury series coming? All I had was that bloody Marvel preview to Captain Marvel, which was absolutely terrible. I want some good Nick Fury stories. It's going to come. It's going to yeah, come at some come. point. They whip out Nick Fury every now and again as our ultimate protector or ultimate enemy of the Marvel Universe. So in due time, he will be mm-hmm. back. But for those of you who are going to the cinema over the Christmas period or the holiday period, do not f- miss out on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the animated movie from Sony featuring Peter Parker, Miles Morales, Gwen Stacy, uh, Penny Parker, uh, Spider-Man Noir, uh, all of them. They're all there and it's going to be, oh, most importantly, Peter Porker. We are getting a <laughs> live action, quote unquote, or at least animated Peter yeah. Porker in the universe, in our big screens. So do you know what? Because it's so much Peter, it's so much Parker, it's so much Spider-Man, we are going to record our coverage with a review of Into the Spider-Verse. So watch out for that in the coming weeks. We're hoping to, yes, 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 definitely. What I love about this is Chris has not been able to join us for our comic book coverage. He gets the chance to join us because Spider-Man events are coming up and it's every single Spider-Man ever written. So Chris <laughs> is going to have to be our guide to who these characters are. I don't know half of them. I know the main ones. I know, you know, I know Gwen Stacy. I know Peter Parker. I know Miles Morales, but there's going to be loads in there that I don't know. Yes. So we're really going to need your guidance, which means we will not be recording our review of either Spider-Geddon or into the Spider-Verse without you, Chris. So yes. you're going to have to be there it, for yes. those. It will be podcast Geddon because it will, it be. will be so in-depth. Absolutely. And finally, if you've been following Strange Tales, you know we've been covering our Doctor Strange issues so far. Our review of issue number eight by Mark Wade will be out this week. Should be out already, actually. Uh, we'll be covering issue number nine early December as well, because that's also out on the 5th of December. And a big issue coming up in January Issue number 10 of the Mark Raid run is the 400th issue of Doctor Strange. Uh, so really looking forward to be covering that as well. It's going to be a big event book uh, coming up. So lots and lots of comic books, some movies and loads of TV shows coming up on Defenders TV podcast. So make sure you stay subscribed. And thanks so much to all of those of you who've been subscribed for even one episode over the last 200, but especially to those that have been subscribed since right back at the start of our 200 episode run. We'll talk to you again really soon. Yes, thank you so much, fellow Defenders. We'll talk to you soon and speak to you between now and the new year. Yeah, thank you so much, fellow Defenders, for joining us for this entire season of Daredevil Season 3. It has, as always, been an absolute pleasure uh, discussing all aspects of these shows with you. Um, Yeah, I'm off to go and put on my uh, little Dex Devil number to go hoovering while singing some karaoke. Uh, and then after that, it will be Christmas karaoke time for everyone involved. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back with you soon. Bye. This is start my singing. I see. Me, 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 me. Happy 200, guys. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, happy 200, guys. Love you. Oh. <laughs> Also, the crime bosses. So, how many times did I just say sigh out loud there? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Thank <Damn> you. <laughs> Uh, who is to say that Fisk couldn't conjure up um, his lawyer from hell? Um, and, you know... Ben Donovan. Donovan Bailey. No, Ben Donovan. <laughs> Olympic, Canadian Olympic sprinter. <laughs> Donovan Bailey. Yes, fellow defenders, Chris has a pulse. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um... <laughs> I said I'm going to be responsive. <laughs> Responding. So. Okay, sorry. <laughs> There's a blooper. Bloopy bloop de bloop. Fellow defenders, fellow defenders, does whatever fellow defenders can. That's supposed to be to the tune of Spider Man, but we already established, hopefully in the previous bloopers, that I do not have and cannot carry a tune. That's true. <laughs> My ears are bleeding.